I trust you all have a handout there with some additional, there's a picture of a rooftop coming loose, and then there's a, a sheet of paper, a kind of a progress report on uh, the strategic uh, vision as well. You have, have those accessible. Let us pray. Gracious God, on this day, you invite us to give thanks and to express gratitude that you have drawn near to us and you invite us in response to draw near to you, to be open to you, to listen to you, to trust you, to show us the way. Give us the faith to follow. Amen. Well, I was hoping to deliver the State of the Congregation message in January, but I had to wait for the speaker of the congregation to invite me. So somebody caught it. So here we are. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, Paul Lathrop. And now the State of the Congregation address. We here at Mount Carmel are in a wilderness. Might as well name it. Uh, however, we're not the first ones <laughs> to be there. We have a lot of companies, starting with the Israelites, who were in the wilderness, too, for 40 years. It took them 40 years to get out of it. And during that time, it was clearly a time of anxiety, of reminiscing, <laughs> and a bit of complaining as well. After all, uh, think about it, they didn't know where their next meal was coming from often, nor did they know where they were supposed to go, etc., etc. Uncertainties abounded. No wonder they often asked Moses, why did you bring us out here? (laughs) Well, of course, for us who know the story, it was to escape their Egyptian enslavers. Nonetheless, at times, they said, I wish we were back in Egypt. (laughs) At least everything was predictable there. Never mind, we were slaves. And in the face of such comments, Moses said, now is the time to draw near to God. God will provide. God will lead us. Trust in the Lord. And God did precisely that. He fed them with manna and with quail. He led them with the Ten Commandments. He raised up other leaders besides Moses to share the load. God literally traveled with them, pitched a tent with them, quite literally. The Christian church in North America is in a wilderness, too. I told you we're not alone. I don't have to tell you, churches like ours, just about every church out there, keeps getting smaller while we anxiously wonder, as we grow older, who will replace us in these pews? Sometimes we complain that 
that uh, younger people in the neighborhood who aren't going to church these days don't have their priorities straight. But of course, the truth is it's not because they're bad people or don't believe in God. Uh, Many of them just think our local churches are living in a different century. Rightly or wrongly. Disconnect. Plus, when we take the time to listen to them, many of them feel that uh, they're not interested in churches that, that don't seem interested in them. Part of our challenge. We are lucky here at Mount Carmel because... You know, you look, look around, roughly, roughly half of our congregation here, give or take, is, is pretty young. There's a nice mix of, of ages. This is, this is the sort of mix that uh, many congregations would give anything to have. Kind of a good thing, isn't it? Have you been to congregations where everybody's over 60? Not that there's anything wrong with being over 60, but the human race is about generations, young and old. The fact that we have this healthy mix here is a tribute to the spirit of our congregation. Do not lose sight of that. That's a great thing. And yet, as our older members pass on, they are not entirely being replaced by new people. This has been going on for a while, and worship attendance struggles. Now, as then, God says to us, gather in close. I will provide and I will lead. You have nothing to fear. God is still at work in the world, always creating a new thing, working through God's people to create a more trustworthy and a more hopeful world. That has not changed, even if the form of our churches and worship services do change. And by the way, that's all that faith practices are. We talk to you, faith practices, dwelling in the word and sharing burdens and praying for one another. It's learning to draw near to God so that we can listen to God, follow God's lead, and make some sense together of our journey. And what God does with us and where God leads us will transform us, especially at a time like this. But that means change. I mean, there may be some committees that no longer meet. Change. When we do meet, the nature of the meetings may change. Our church council has been of late really working at this struggling to live into a new time where we realize that our main business is not really working agenda items and tasks. It's learning first and foremost how to be a community of believers that love God and love each other who then bear witness. We're working at that. But change is not easy, is it? Check out this cartoon of a leader being interviewed by stakeholders. Could be any organization anywhere, really. We're hoping you'll lead us on a journey of transformation without requiring any real changes. Are you up to the job? Whoever, whether it's a pastor or a CEO or whatever. Uh, It's kind of familiar in our world, isn't it? It's kind of human nature. Well, when you hear this sort of talk at Mount Carmel, you know, um, how does it get expressed um, in churches or anywhere? Well, we've never done it that way. That's, That's one formulation. 
I hope, I hope you call time out with, with those people. For us, meaningful change will come about through two basic impulses and commitments that I think are really easy to remember. Number one, learning more and more to form community with each other around Christ. There's the drawing near part of it. And two, forming community with our neighbors. It's the going out, connecting out their part. Those two, one and two. Put another way, we need to grow deeper in our fellowship with each other and grow broader in our reach and in our focus. Deeper and wider. Deep and wide. Isn't that a song? Is that a song you guys ever sing in Sunday school? Yeah. Sinead's got the hand motions. Would you like to lead us in that song right now? (laughs) Deep and wide. This involves all of us, obviously. This is not about merely getting a better marketing plan to attract people. It's not about how charismatic I am because, you know, if that's what you're banking on, well, we're all in trouble. It's about God drawing us in to grow our faith, then equipping us to go out. Very simple, basic movement. Deep and wide. Most of this, by the way, will happen outside of of worship. In small groups and teams and task forces and such, sometimes committees, where people can connect a bit more personally than in a worship service. Uh, Here's a graphic that uh, Jenny Lathrop put together uh, that concisely illustrates what our vision is about. And it's also, you have it a handout. Um, Kind of a church structure, kind of where we're going, kind of the basic components. Our congregation's future, we believe, believe according to how God is leading us, will be based on building upon our relationships with God, each other, and our neighbor. The steps leading upward include uh, boards and councils and leadership teams that involve some of you, staff and administration, worship, and programs, you know. And uh, like our child care center, that's a huge, wonderful program, but there are other programs as well. But all of it leads to the creation of, on that sheet it says SRGs, which Let's not use that term a lot. It sounds like insider language. It simply means, stands for spiritual relational groups. Spiritual relation, vibrant, growing congregations generate these kinds of groups in abundance, and that's what blows the roof off of a place, that the energy from people identifying with this group or that group, this mission or that mission, this interest or cause, whatever, and the relationships therein. So SRG equals spiritual relational groups. And this is where our faith practices really happen, the deepen part of our challenge. For many of us, things like uh, dwelling in the word, sharing highs and lows, talking about our callings with each other are are, are somewhat new to us and, and take a bit of practice. They might even be irritating. How many here have been irritated by <laughs> me talking about faith practices all the time? Yeah, I knew, I knew Audrey would have her hand up first. No, she's just kidding. She loves it. Well, part of the reason is because they're disruptive to our normal patterns. And that's partly the point. God disrupts our normal patterns. Why? To open up room for the Holy Spirit to move in us. It's ways of kind of creating openings in our spirit and awareness so God can go to work 
on us. Now, we don't have a, a culture here at Mount Carmel where we're used to talking about God and faith journeys and such things on a regular basis, so it's something, it's something that we're, we're learning. And that's why spiritual small groups are so important. They're great places to practice. In fact, your family at home can be a spiritual relational group. After Easter, um, I will be hosting a four-part small group workshop for those who are already, already leading groups of all kinds, uh, committees, Bible studies, boards, whatever, um, even long-standing groups, of course. And we will reflect together on how our existing groups are going, what, what works well, what doesn't, and, and maybe learn some new practices that we can incorporate to deepen and enrich those experiences. This will also be for anybody who wants to learn about faith practices and significant spiritual relational uh, groups. So look for that after, after Easter. We'll use Wednesday nights, maybe uh, four Wednesdays after Easter. Okay, that's the, that's the deeper part, and, and, and we certainly work that in worship uh, as well. Then there's the wider, broader part. How we choose to relate to our neighbors will determine the course of our future. That's why I added Luke 10 in here today for the gospel lesson. God calls us to view our neighbors as more than just potential members of this congregation that can help with our worship attendance and stewardship totals, but rather to view them as human beings with hopes and dreams, fears and anxieties, people that, whom we are called to love. That, that's first before they would ever consider becoming a member or First things first. And so God is leading and equipping us to turn our focus outward and widen our reach into the community by getting to know our neighbors, by practicing hospitality with them, both giving and receiving, finding common cause and mission with them, sometimes here in the building, sometimes out there. Luke 10 is a powerful example of going out. Finding people of peace, building relationships with them, discovering a need, and then working together. For instance, we have in our midst, as I've alluded to, a powerful, wonderful ministry with our neighbors in the form of our child care center. Yet most of us have little connection to it, unless we had kids that, that went there. Uh, nor have we as a congregation gotten to know those neighbors very much who come in and out of our building every single day. Great potential for kind of deepening and connections there. What happens here in worship is a part of our emerging relationship with our neighbors. But in many ways, that will happen not by us merely trying to attract them here, but by being attracted to who they are being curious about that and being sent by Jesus into the neighborhood. This calls for a reversal of sorts in our thinking. Here's a little two-minute YouTube video called Missional Church Simple, part of the rhythm that we're talking about, how the arrows don't just come inward but outward. Take a look. Interesting, huh? 
it's pretty good. So I hope you remember the difference between turning the arrows pointing inward to pointing outward. That's you. That's you being called uh, to go out there and bring uh, the good news in various ways, shapes, and forms uh, out there. Now, uh, this is a challenge for us because like many churches, I think we have a tendency to be inward focused, more concerned or easily concerned or tempted to be about maintaining an institution here rather than getting out to the people around us. But this is a, this is a paradigm shift that really changes things when we look at it this way. So the differences that we look for will not necessarily be measured immediately by how many people are in here in worship, but rather, number one, are we learning to draw near to God as our guide, learn new practices and go deeper? And number two, are we learning to get to know our neighbors? Because that leads to things, to new possibilities. The handout entitled that you have, Strategic Vision Progress Report, shows us new initiatives, and Paul, you can go ahead and put that, put that up, shows us the new initiatives or renewed initiatives that we've done in the last two years as we've tried to open ourselves to God, learn new things, and build connections with our neighbors. Now, I'm sure I missed some, some things here, and, and this is only a start, the, these things, more things more things will happen. And not listed here are the many good things that have been going on here for a long time, which are also growing and evolving. So this is more new things or newly appropriated things. Now, as you can see, many things have happened in these last two years. And they're all about folks out here and some who aren't here, leaning into the future, going deeper and reaching wider. Learning new practices pushing the envelope. They are leading the way because Christ is leading the way. And yet, some of you have, and by the way, we, we, we don't have time, of course, to talk about all the things listed there, but I'd love to carry on a conversation with, with you about some of those and, and possible things that could be added to that list. And yet, some of you have appropriately wondered whether any of that activity makes any difference. After all, if worship is the ultimate measuring stick of how well we're doing as a congregation, and for many, um, they believe that to be so. This is kind of the main event, right? And our worship attendance hasn't been growing of late. It's a pretty good day today. Here I want to say that worship is a really important measuring stick. <laughs> but it's also an imperfect one. The reason it's imperfect uh, could be found in the example of Gethsemane Lutheran Church in Minneapolis, which I've recently learned about, where they've not increased their worship attendance in 11 years. They worship fewer people than we do. But during those 11 years, they have made uh, a concerted effort to listen to their neighbors and their needs and find common mission with them. As a result, there are 2,000 people from the neighborhood that come into their church weekly, uh, daily for food distribution and uh, their food shelf. They happen to, to be located in a food desert, as it's, as it's called. And for their preschool that's there, 
much like ours, and for community dinners that they host on a weekly basis. Interesting, isn't it? All kinds of people from the neighborhood pouring into their church, and they're not officially members, but wow, they found something to work on together. Hasn't affected where. I, I just say that, not because that's going to be where we go, but it's interesting, isn't it? For us, too, our progress will be measured by whether we listen and grow our relationships with our neighbors, finding new ways to do that. Our neighborhood is different than Gethsemane's, but, of course, the idea is the same. And again, for us, our progress will be measured by spiritual relational groups and how we build relationships in the neighborhood. So, let's come back to worship. Where is worship in all this? Kind of a big deal, right? Worship, worship is huge. It's our touchstone. It's our foundation. It's the weekly family gathering. And we, we even got the kids here for worship. That's one of the beautiful thing is the kids are here. Worship should be a weekly encounter with the living God where our beliefs and values come together and are celebrated and celebrated in an intersection of church and neighborhood. So how can worship be an event not just for insiders like many of us, but speak to those in the neighborhood that we're missing? Kind of like that video. What about the people who aren't here? (laughs) Who are they? Let's refuse here at Mount Carmel to, to accept anything less than the best for our worship. And let's do it together. Now, you may be skeptical about that other stuff, you know, faith practices and, you know, going out and finding people of peace out there. It can be scary stuff. But, hey, this worship service, it has to start here. Let's join together and make worship as dynamic and as inclusive as we possibly can, and let's, let's do it together. Are you with me? Yeah. Uh, let's hear it. Amen. What? Okay, what does that mean? I just want to, I want to end on this note. For starters, uh, my sermons should never be a monologue. Now, I don't mean we're just going to start going back and forth uh, during the sermon, but they should be prompting a conversation in you with God and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If my sermons are not doing that, I want to know why. I want to hear from you. So I will... Uh, Uh, be making available each Sunday a response card where you can uh, write to me and let me know what the sermon stirred up for you, what was helpful, and what didn't work for you. And I'm happy to take your constructive criticism because, believe it or not, I just want this time to be effective and to to be uh, helpful for you. And so I I know that I'm uh, not doing everything uh, uh, well or perfectly all the time, so I want to hear from you. Um, I also want to meet with some of you in a maybe rotating group, who are willing to tell me what I can do to improve sermons or to help me get ready to preach each week. Uh, Worship is a team effort. Okay, stay tuned on that one. On to the next slide. So how many people have, uh, have you invited to worship lately, a friend, neighbor, or coworker? You know, if you're the average Lutheran, (laughs) not many, but I know some do. And that's a good thing. To maximize our worship experience, we need all of you to take ownership. For instance, um, inviting someone you know is the most effective form of marketing that's out there, hands down, it's not even close, is personal relationships, people, people you know. 
Okay, let's go on to another one. Um, worship innovation team. Nick and, and Megan and I will be leading conversations very soon. Stay tuned if you're interested in being a part of that conversation uh, about revitalizing our worship service and our Sunday morning experience, including fellowship and, and faith formation. Um, and, and the brunches that we love to do here, putting it all together in the most dynamic and effective way possible. And so I ask you again, join with me to create the best Sunday morning experience uh, that we can, because worship really does matter. And uh, also, they'll soon be forming a hospitality team that will look at how welcoming and hospitable we are currently when someone comes into our building, whether it's on Sunday morning or uh, during the week, and what we might do to increase our awareness and receptivity to folks out there. So, I want all of you to know that I am nothing short of optimistic, uh, enthusiastically so, about our future, because I think this congregation loves God and loves God's church. That much is abundantly clear. So, much of the work is done right there, because of what's in your heart and what's in your head. We all want to see this work of the church in this world go on, and particularly in Northeast Minneapolis. So I'm excited for what the future will bring to us, and I hope all of you are, even if we're in the midst of a bit of a wilderness. We get to try some things, trust God, and go on an exciting journey. Uh, amen.